Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here this week with new co-host, Liel Zahaviasa, new colleague. How are you, Liel? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Now, you were here once as a guest, but now you're actually here as a co- uh, co-host because you're working with us as we move to Masai. And we'll tell listeners more about that as we go on, but we're very excited to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be a part of it. Excellent. And we're also very excited to have friend of the podcast, uh, returning guest, as always, one of our favorites and one of our listeners' favorites, based on our feedback, Javiv Retegor. Although I'm, I see on Zoom, it just says Javiv Gore. Yeah. Sometimes I <laughs> get lazy. All right. Well, uh, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And we wanted you on this week. You wrote a little bit outside of your normal beat. I mean, it was connected to politics uh, because there was this political open argument between uh, BB and Lapid over uh, anti-Semitism and its definition. But then you went into sort of a broader discussion about anti-Semitism, and we had some questions. So we figured we could trick you into being on the podcast to have that conversation with you. Could you, and I realize I'm asking for a lot here, sort of briefly summarize the major points of your article. Well, we'll link to it. And as much as I would like to push play and just let you go, we do have questions. So okay. I don't know exactly how this is going to work. What's the two-minute version of, the, of this article? First of all, it's long. It's 3,000 words. So, uh, you know, dear Yeah, but very readable. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. So if you, but if you feel yourself, you know, unable to finish, I I understand. I'm very sympathetic. Um, but isn't that weird in the internet age that we feel like a 3000 word article is so long? It's not so long. No. And it's my, it's the length I write if they don't tell me to shorten. So I I work very hard to shorten all my life and generally I write long. So, um, you know, Mark Twain suggested that brevity is better writing, and if you can't be brief, then you don't understand the topic. So I, there are also great literary minds who agree with mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, keep it short uh, dictum. So uh, um, this in this particular piece, I failed. Um, but um, I, I really had two, two points. My first point was to look at this speech that uh, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid gave on July 14th to an anti-Semitism conference in Jerusalem where he argued something that sounded very banal, I think was actually a very profound move for him, mm-hmm. um, and it was about how Israelis talk about anti-Semitism. It wasn't about anti-Semitism itself. And essentially Zionism has argued over the years that anti-Semitism, um, I'm going to say this carefully, is, is, is caused by something strange about Jews. Now, anti-Semitism didn't, uh, Zionism never blamed Jews for anti-Semitism, but it pointed out, a lot of uh, Zionist thinkers pointed out that Jews actually have this very, very strange existence in, in, in the case of most Zionist thinkers in the nation states of Europe, in 19th century nation states that are developing in that course of that century, uh, uh, Europe. Diaspora people is a strange existence. A diaspora people, and, and, and if you are looking at it from the Germans, the ordinary Germans' perspective, or the ordinary Frenchman's perspective, or the ordinary Poles' perspective, uh, the Jew is Polish, and is German, and is French, and also is something else. And that ability to sort of cross those boundaries, and if you read Mein Kampf, Hitler's obsessed with that. The Nazis hated the Jews much, much more than they hated other races, other other races that are physically visible, blacks or, or Asians or whatever races you categorize. Um, and they hated Jews more because you couldn't tell. 
you couldn't tell that Albert Einstein wasn't a German, and that made it insidious. And what it, what what made Jews insidious in the in the Nazi vision, and really in the um, in the view of a lot of people who didn't reach the point of Nazism in 19th century and 20th century Europe, was that by by being both what we are, our national identity, and also something else, the Jews' existence as Jews calls into question the absolute truth, the, the sort of organic obviousness and truthfulness of the identity itself. If you could be a German and a Jew, what does it mean to be German? Maybe the boundaries of being German, of Aryanness, of how the Nazis tried to, you know, the Nazis are good because they're that extreme example where they said it all clearly and you could just point to, to the point, right? But a lot of people felt this even without becoming Nazis um, mm-hmm. by being both the nation, the European... By the way, the Jews felt it and to a certain Jew, extent. Jews felt it profoundly and were deeply anxious about it and, and didn't quite know what it means. And, um, and so Zionism suggested that that was a very dangerous and precarious condition, and it was the cause of anti-Semitism. And the solution is to normalize Jews, to make Jews a normal thing. And how do you make them a normal thing? You actually pull them out of all those nation states and you make them a nation state. Mm-hmm. That's the Zionist idea. And then comes Yair Lapid in this speech. Now, Yair Lapid is not an intellectual. He doesn't claim to be a public intellectual. No, there's Lapid, a little cameo from your kids. Cameo from the kid. Can I, uh, should I repeat <laughs> cool. that sentence? Yair yeah, Lapid back, is yeah. not a, an intellectual. He doesn't claim to be. And what, what Yair Lapid I don't think Yair actually, Lapid would be so happy that you had to repeat that sentence a few times. No, <laughs> I don't think he, he, he wrote a very, he's a very, um, Interesting writer, easy to read writer, a popular columnist, uh, you know, television anchor, who also became foreign minister um, and popular politician, it must be said. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not an intellectual. And what he came and said was, I think it's time that we Jews, Israeli Jews, stop talking about anti-Semitism as something caused by the diasporic condition of the Jews. It's, in fact, caused by the anti-Semites' own psychic problems from psyche, mm-hmm. from psychic. Um and therefore, if we understand that the anti-Semite is the subject of anti-Semitism and not the Jew, um, then we suddenly discover a whole world of allies. Because we're not thinking of anti-Semitism as a separate hatred. We're actually thinking of it as a hatred among all the hatreds of humanity. And therefore, all of the oppressed peoples and all of the hated and all of the uh, repressed and, and, and hunted down and, and, and persecuted are all our allies. And that was the speech at the anti-Semitism conference. Now... I'll try and finish this in one minute. It, 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 that drew no a firestorm of, 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 of criticism and anger, uh, a real powerful backlash from the Israeli right, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, but including many, many others, op-eds and all the right-wing uh, media outlets. Um, and, uh, and it lasted a good two weeks. I mean, you're still seeing some of these mm-hmm. comments coming out now, you know, July 14th. And what are we now? July 27th, I want to say. I should probably 29th. know working in the news. 29th. <laughs> so um, it's, still, it's still coming out, right? Um, the argument that the right came at him for, the argument the right made was, um, no, actually, anti-Semitism is not every hatred there has ever been. Anti-Semitism is unique. It is different. It is something new and something special. Well, not new in the sense that it's millennia old, but it's something Mm -hmm. utterly uh, separate from the usual run of 
bigotry and prejudice and racism. Um, and the sociology of it is different, and we have to think about it that way. And there's a reason anti-Semitism led to a Holocaust where other hatreds don't lead to Holocaust. And even the Holocaust, there are other, other genocides caused by mm-hmm. other bigotries, but the Holocaust was different than those genocides. Now, that is a very common Jewish view and deeply mm-hmm. held by Jews. It's part, I would even say, of a civic religion of mm-hmm. most Jewish communities today. That anti-Semitism is different, that the Holocaust is different. The trouble was that when you actually called right-wingers and said to them, how exactly? Why is anti-Semitism different from the Hutu hatred of the Tutsis that led to a million dead in Rwanda in a hundred days back in the 90s? Why is it worse than Bosnia? Why is it worse than what the Turks did to the Armenians? Why actually specifically? There are so many genocides in, in human history. And, you know, some of them in the 90s, and there is a very strong case. I recently spoke to Erwin Cutler, who was making this case very loudly, that the, what's happening to the Uyghurs in western China is a genocide. Mm-hmm. Very smart, sharp, thoughtful people are making that case now. So maybe genocides are not so unique themselves, and also, you know... The Rohingya in Myanmar right now, they're what's happening right now, depending on how you define it, yeah. Yeah, some parts of the UN have come out and said... You know, there are elements of genocide in what's happening, right, to the Rohingya. I hope I pronounced that right. I don't know. Um, and so I, I, I called up um, a very wise um, scholar and a very thoughtful person who is one of the great, um, I think, uh, writers on this question in our times. Uh, and that's uh, Ruth uh, Weiss, who is uh, now retired, but she was a professor at Harvard. Um, she's actually a professor of literature at Harvard, mm-hmm. Yiddish literature mostly, but also um, a historian, a historian of Jewish history, who uh, in her literature studies uh, writes about big ideas as well and how they so weave through. So she's a great person on this question. And I said to her, look, I have this Lapid thinking that he's making actually a kind of a conservative, well, he wants allies and he wants to ally with the progressives right. around the world. It's and with partially strategic. Around the world. Yeah. He's making a rhetorical right. point. Um, mm-hmm. right. We're but allying to the anti-racist world. Right. And also, but the Zionist move from saying the Jew was somehow causing anti-Semitism, not their fault, but nevertheless, their strange condition was causing anti-Semitism, to saying, no, go to the anti-Semite for the answer to anti-Semitism, the explanation. It's not the Jew. That's a, mm-hmm. a healthy move. I, I support that move. I don't agree with Herzl that the Jew's condition is. I agree with most Herzl, but not with that point of Herzl, mm-hmm. that the Jew's condition is the cause. And so um, what exactly did Lapid get wrong? And she laid it out uh, beautifully, and uh, to the point where a third of the piece is just quoting her. Um, and um, and what, what she argued was, very, very simply, that uh, Jews, because of the history of the relationship of Christianity and Islam to Jews, there's a lot of demonization there, and there's a whole long history of the Jews representing things in Islamic and, and Christian uh, traditions, representing bad things, representing the rejection of the true, you know, um, revelation and things like that, the Jews are primed to become the most convenient tool for, in a, in a very dramatically changing world, a fast-changing world, a world undergoing industrialization and urbanization and deep changes in how people think about their identities and, and the, the building of these mass societies. You used to not be a German. You used to be from some small area where everyone spoke alike and looked alike and thought alike. And then suddenly you became this thing called a German. Well, what the hell is a German? You don't know the other 80 million Germans, right? But somehow you're all convinced you're a people. 
this whole construction in the 19th century, because of the economic changes and, and, and social changes of these mass societies that then adopted ideologies of nationalism, things were changing so fast and so profoundly, and people's sense of themselves in the world was changing so fast that it created a lot, a lot of real fear, real terror in, in society. And, and politicians discovered that they already had this, this, this narrative and this, this people, this answer to all of these uh, frustrations and fears and anxieties um, in this small minority that couldn't fight back, that could be blamed on, that could be blamed for all of these big changes and for the parts of these big changes that I don't like that I'm afraid of. And if you could blame them for it, nobody would notice that you're the leader who's maybe screwing up and not delivering answers. The Jews were doing it to us. And it begins in the 19th century. Wilhelm Marr quotes, you know, coins this the term. He's a mm-hmm. German conservative who uh, blamed the Jews for democracy. The man who invented the word anti-Semitism was using it to describe his view that the nefarious Jews were pushing liber- uh, liberalism and democracy onto the Germans uh, and therefore weakening the Germans. And it's in order mm-hmm. to conquer Germany from within, as he put it. Um, and, and that's anti-Semitism. That's the unique anti-Semitism. The unique anti-Semitism is, organi- as she called it, the organization of politics around the Jews in a way that the Jew is the explanation for the big thing that is a problem. And you go looking for that, you suddenly find it everywhere. You find Algerians today convinced that the Jews control the world markets, control America, control the White House, and is the, and are the reason that the Arab and Muslim world uh, have fallen behind in modern times. You go to uh, Soviet literature about the Jews, and you discover that the Jews are the cause of everything that's wrong and going terribly wrong in Stalin's Soviet Union. You go to um, the Arab world generally, uh, organizing around destroying Israel. Organizing around destroying Israel was a very convenient thing for Arab dictators to do to avoid Arabs coming to them in the post-colonial, post-imperial era and saying to them, hey, why are you Arab dictators destroying the Arab world and preventing the Arab world from developing after all our imperial overlords have have left? Um, Oh, no, we're all fighting together against the terrible Israel, right? The organizing of politics against the Jews is a solution for your domestic politics. And use right, when the the um, and ex- all these examples or most of these examples are in the article. Um, the, the former prime minister of Malaysia, the most recent former prime minister of Malaysia, is absolutely convinced that the Jews control the world and are keeping the Muslim world down. Now he's he's the prime minister of Malaysia. You know he shouldn't have time in his day to think about Jews. Um, the, the Mar- Nor has he white- met many Jews if he ever Nor has he met any, any Jews. Yes. Yeah, and, and if it's he the did, concept of Jews, aware of who he is. Right. It's exactly. It's the idea of just and um, and Charlottesville. Uh, when they marched in Charlottesville in 2017, they screamed, uh, "The Jews will not replace us." Right. And with, that was the moment that a lot of Jews discovered that there's a conspiracy theory among white supremacists that we are trying to replace them. Mm-hmm. Apparently, with Latinos, I'm not sure why we're doing that, <laughs> but we're 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 hard at work on it. Now it's now they have these real demographic anxieties, and demographic anxieties are powerful, mobilizing often legitimate, often legitimate. These are real tensions and the real cultural shifts and that they cause anxieties makes sense. And then to turn that into this racist conspiracy theory in which the Jew is the cause of all the things that are bad in the world is the unique, that that is not true 
of the Turkish relationship with the Armenians. That does not exist in, uh, you know, uh, the German worry about Muslim refugees and immigrants in the last 10 years. That is not true of other situations of, it's not true of American racism toward African Americans, toward blacks. That, that is not there. There is no black conspiracy to mobilize all, to, to, to destroy America from within by changing all of our things and manipulating us. That, that is unique to Jews and unique to anti-Semitism. And just the last little point we're saying, it's, it's there in the progressive world today in America. Mm-hmm. And it's there around Israel. And, and I'm not talking about criticism of Israel and I'm not talking about Ben and Jerry's and I'm not talking about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the real there are entire Black Lives Matter chapters in America, not the movement as a whole, but there are chapters who have put out documents explaining that, 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 that American police violence is an Israeli phenomenon. And it is an Israeli phenomenon because police departments in America and around the world have exchange programs with each other all over the world. And they have visited Israel, and Israeli police have visited America. Now, the conversations they have are generally about, the reality is the conversations they have are generally about, you know, best practices and community policing and things like that. These are not, like, you know, how to beat up blacks. That is not the conversation. But in in this progressive discourse that exists within the progressive world, by the way, you know, Nation of Islam doesn't hide any of this. Nation of Islam is anti-Semitic on the Nazi model. The Jews are a conspiracy. They're destroying us from within. Nation of Islam is deeply respected in the Black Lives Matter movement and in the, in, in the progressive world, um, and and is the, that unique and conspiratorial, demonic kind of anti-Semitism. But even among those who are not Nation of Islam, there there are these ideas that that American police violence is Israeli, and therefore the Jews are secretly in a secret order of being doing it to us. Um, that's unique, and so. I think that the right-wing um, attack on Lapid was um, was was they they themselves failed to explain what he got wrong. They also missed what I think is a very healthy argument he was making about who is actually the cause of anti-Semitism, and it's not the Jew. And then they failed to explain, you know. But I then share the right-wing critique of Lapid in the sense that there is this unique anti-Semitism, and it is different from all other bigotries. And if we don't grasp that, we don't know how to fight it properly. So what was that, two minutes? That was, I think, a minute and a half, actually. (laughs) It came in well under. Better than I expected. Yeah. Now, I actually side more with Herzl than Professor Weiss. I want Liel to start off, because she had a more question directed to your beat, I think, when we were talking before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks. I was wondering um, how you feel, given that BB took his stance and Lapid took his stance and it's sort of both, both of these um, sentiments are part of their, I guess, larger agenda. And I was wondering how you think that plays out with their, um, with their communities and the people who do vote for BB and are for BB and people who do vote for Lapid. And then also thinking about kind of if Lapid in three, three plus years, four years, or, um, does, or two, two rather, two years get, does get to be prime minister of Israel. And he's maintaining that stance. Um, how do you think that affects the Israeli society at large in terms of anti-Semitism? Because you did also say um, that, you know, Israelis really just don't understand anti-Semitism. And that's just like a really interesting note that I think um, if, you know, if and when Lapid does become prime minister and then, you know, continues with that, with that narrative, I wonder how that's going to change the Israeli tone and then also Israeli tone in relation to um, diaspora Judaism. 
because the diaspora Judaism, like the Holocaust, for example, is a very heavy part of their identity. It's, it's, it's very impactful in terms of who they see themselves in the world and the story they tell themselves and the history that they learn. So I was wondering kind of in terms of the political sphere, how you think that plays out? That's a great question. Um, I'm not sure I have an, an easy answer. Um, a couple things occur, though. The First of all, I'm not sure Israelis paid attention to the substance. One of the reasons that Netanyahu didn't didn't give us a clear articulation of why anti-Semitism is unique is that I don't think he thought people were listening mm-hmm. and asking. Um, Israelis are not only don't understand anti-Semitism, they're not good at talking about it, and they're not even good at believing that the issue is a real issue in some important fundamental sense. For them, and in, and in general, understand that these people live in Israel. Who cares? Let them live and die, right? They come land, for me. Okay. I'll shoot them in the head until they come for me. Who cares, right? It's kind of the Israeli um, attitude, and it, and, it, and it's not shy. I, I, we're saying it flippantly as if it's a shallow attitude. It's a very deep attitude. And so yeah. um, Israelis call the Ben and Jerry's. I get it viscerally living here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I get it. Of like, I have right. to be very careful when I teach my students not to reveal that other than sometimes articulating it clearly as a thing, but I can't reflect that unconsciously to them because it's hurtful to them. Yeah, at least yeah. I think so. If I reflect yeah, to my students, anti-Semitism, who cares? What are they going to do to us? And they're <laughs> right. getting on a plane. Like that's a really right. mean thing for me to do. So as an educator who lives here, I have to be careful with my da- right. diaspora living gap year students not to, I think it's one of the success yeah. stories of Israel. Yeah. Where we built a, sure. you know, generations yeah. of Jews that can just say, oh, yeah, okay, anti-Semitism. Think about that in eighth grade history. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I think that's what, it, that's what it's boiled down yeah. to for them. Um, and so they think anti-Semitism means, uh, most Israelis sort of instinctively, I think, uh, think that anti-Semitism means people don't like us. And so the Ben and Jerry's thing plays out for them as anti-Semitic. Because people don't like us. It, it, it isn't really that Ben and Jerry's is not selling ice cream where there are civil rights gaps or lacunae or abuses. Because there's no statement from the Ben and Jerry's board that they're not going to sell ice cream in Syria or Iran or Russia, right? Or Turkey. They or... don't like us, right? They don't like us. Is the occupation there and is there a problem there? Of course there's occupation and a problem, but you're not going to sell us ice cream for it because you don't like us. Because there are other problems and you sell your ice cream to people committing other problems and other mistakes and other crimes. And so that's anti-Semitism, right? It's this very simple, blasé, you don't like us. Now, I, I have to say, um, everyone has prejudices. We uh, think intuitively, our brain is built to think intuitively and quickly and reach quick and fast and decisive conclusions based on experience. Experience is obviously limited. Intuition is very limited. And so we all live our lives in these overlapping prejudices, right? When I tell you, hey, here's $10,000 for a world tour, what countries are you going to visit? As you give me a list of those countries, you're working through your prejudices. You're mm-hmm. going to go to Paris. You're sure not going to go to Berlin. You definitely have to hit mm-hmm. Moscow. But for some reason, Mongolia doesn't register on your rent. Those are all prejudices, right? So mm-hmm. um, we live in these prejudices. Some people don't like Israel. They're anti-Semites, Mazato, right? It's, it's this very banal kind of um, uh, prejudice in the original sense of the word, prejudging that... Uh, so that that's kind of how Israelis think of it, and um, and then the Nazis are this weird special thing, and that's why we have to have a big air force. You know that that kind of those are the two. Um, they were also doesn't threaten us on a day to day basis. So I think that also uh, with Israeli and Israeli right. psyche doesn't threaten on a day to day basis. Right, even more. 
let the anti-Semites come because now we're yeah. armed to the teeth, right? Exactly. Um, it is now dangerous to be an anti-Semite, at least to act on it. It used to be very safe. Today it's very dangerous. That's Zionism, right? That's mm-hmm. the Israeli sort of instinct. Um, so, no, Israelis weren't paying attention and weren't demanding real answers and real explanations. Um, and Lapid and Netanyahu, therefore, allowed themselves to have this very shallow uh, argument that really is entirely politics. It's about politics. Mm-hmm. Lapid was saying, hey, I'm not Netanyahu's Israel. I'm not flying the flag of the GOP and, and you know, backing Trump and everything. And let's make friends with the progressives. Why not? First of all, they run America today. Second of all, I kind of like them more than Trump, you know, just instinctively. So um, that was his argument. And Netanyahu's argument was, how dare you lessen the tragedy of the Holocaust? Netanyahu said that in his response. Mm-hmm. Now, Lapid's speech, a third of it was about his father in the Holocaust. And about his grandfather dead in Mauthausen at the concentration camp. It, it was about the Holocaust. And he says in the speech explicitly there was nothing like the Holocaust in all of human history. Um, so, you know, they were, they were talking past each other and they were political posturing. And Israelis don't really have even the vocabulary to have a serious discussion of what anti-Semitism really is and what it isn't and how we know. And it doesn't matter to them. It matters hugely to American Jews who face these progressives and face these issues and can't call someone an anti-Semite if they're not, but wants to make sure they do call the right people anti-Semites. And all of this stuff is very important to American Jews. So um, I, I think it'll have zero effect on Israelis. And I think uh, when Lapid is prime minister, it'll have zero effect on Israelis, except as a signal that Lapid's diplomacy is going to be a diplomacy that is very, very open and wants to find allies mm-hmm. among liberals and progressives and all of that. And Netanyahu's, of course, uh, was not. Um, I'm sad to say that. I'm sad to say the Israelis are both ignorant about anti-Semitism and uncurious about anti-Semitism. And, uh, and so it doesn't play a role in our politics. Mm-hmm. Right, but I, but I also think that it was an inevitable product of Zionism, that they, that they look, they look at, at anti-Semitism historically as this myth rather than a, a real life. In other words, you're right that it's problematic, but it was inevitable that the state people living in the state of Israel just find it something outside of their field of experience. It is an enormous success of Zionism Mm -hmm. in the terms that the founders of Zionism set for what success would look like to have generations of Jews who just don't have enough of an experience of anti-Semitism to be curious about it. Not only that, I think it goes even deeper. Uh, There's something pathetic about an anti-Semite to the Israelis. Because think about yeah. the anti-Semites that Israelis really do encounter. They encounter conspir- all the time conspiracy theories about the Jewish control of the world from Iran and mm-hmm. from Syria and from the Muslim Brotherhood and from Hamas. And those are all very pathetic institutions. Those, mm-hmm. n- those entire regimes are, 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 are sad and, and dysfunctional and, and crashing and destro- much, much more destructive to their own people than they could ever be to us. Um, and so anti-Semitism is almost a signal to Israelis of incompetence and dysfunction um, more than it Which, is by the way, some, I, I think something we need to worry about. The more I you're anti-Semitic, yeah. the less competent you are to come after me. And I think yeah. that's part of Ruth Weiss's argument also, is that it, as well, long as you have something to argue. <laughs> as long no, as she said German, that explicitly, yeah. Yeah, as long as you embrace the Jews as your problem, then you're not solving your actual problems and you are leading your society and your culture into a death spiral 
Uh, you know. Right. So, th- so anti-Semitism neutralizes our enemies from the kind of competence they'd need to actually attack us. So, anti- yeah. anti-Semitism is almost the safety uh, safety margin for us. Uh, anti-Semitism protects us in that sense yeah. um, to the Israeli sort of instinct. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just say there's there's a huge downside to it all, which is the uncuriosity and this sort of instinctive sort of waving away of anti-Semitism. Uh, prevents Israelis from really grasping the history <clears throat> that created them, that created their society. And, and, and so they don't know important things about their society. And, um, and, and I think that's reflected. For example, uh, Herzl thought that anti-Semitism sort of othered the Jew, and we have to make the Jew a normal thing so that anti-Semitism would go away. Um, and then in Alt-Neuland, in the new utopian Jewish state, um, the Jews, are, some Jews, are busy othering the Arabs and treating the mm-hmm. Arabs in the same way. Herzl was worried that the same prejudice of this mass mm-hmm. society toward its minorities would be something the Jews carry with them from Europe. That's the thing we should probably be listening to. It's Herzl. It's definitely not anti-Zionist. Right. Um, so, but the that's one of the tensions in the second part of the book is working that out and, and, and fighting against the people who are othering the Arabs. Right. And, um, and uh, when we don't understand the history that created us, uh, we don't understand our own responsibilities and our own vulnerabilities and, and, and the places where we could, we could fall. Yeah. Do you I, think I, that, yeah. Go ahead, Leo. By, by, by Lapid saying what he said, do you think that just advances that problem? Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Is his sort of moving the subject of anti-Semitism from the Jew to the anti-Semite, um, making it, like it a, easier or harder for Israelis to have a serious discussion about anti-Semitism? Right. Well, that's about this. Jewish I, history. I completely agree. I completely agree with Lapid's point. Uh, by the way, so did Ruth Weiss. What Lapid thought he was, the point Lapid thought he was saying which was kind of lost in him then saying, a lot of people have hatred, let's ally mm-hmm. with them and, and, and fight all our hatreds together. Um, but his argument about moving that, that focus, uh, Ruth Weiss did agree with, um, and I deeply, deeply agree with, um, and what I think was a mistake of Zionism. Zionism was, was, was wrong in thinking that changing the Jew would make anti-Semitism go away because anti-Semitism was too useful. It was too useful to these elites. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so that's where I, that's where I strongly disagree. Okay. And I think, by the way, when I say disagree, I think ultimately everybody more or less agrees, and they're just shifting emphases to different places and placing emphasis on this over that, and therefore feel like we're disagreeing, but we're really all agreeing on the phenomenon. Um, but it's just sort of where 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 your where your starting point is and where you branch out from. But like, like okay, so here Leo's question, you know, is. How, the political utility of this argument. Bibi is an intellectual, but he's not functioning as one here. He's functioning as, what's the political utility of my side of the argument? And Lapid, I think so, yeah. But Lapid's trying to win over progressives around the world, saying, look, we're, we should be right. on the same side. And Ruth Weiss is saying, you know, anti-Semites is tremendous political utility to this anti-Semitic idea. But, but I don't think that's the origin of these ideas. You know, you, you earlier, not only did you insult Lapid by not calling him non-intellectual, you insulted Adolf Hitler, which, Chaviv, I don't know. I mean, do you really want to go on record saying mean things about Look, I try to be polite <laughs> and respectful. You're usually to so positive, yeah. But, all right, I guess, now we know your lines. Hitler, okay. <laughs> 
But you said he was obsessed in this crazy way with the Jews. Now, in the classic argument over Hitler, did he really believe these things? Or was he just pretending to for its political utility? I am firmly in the camp of, oh, yeah, he believed the hell out of these things. He didn't just believe these things. Like, there's a certain point. You tell me it enough, I'm going to eventually believe that you need And And when you're talking about, you know, these the utility of this idea to persuade people, it's not... And, and, and it's not that, you know, I'm convincing you that the Jews are the problem. I'm poking on something that's inside you already. I, I, I think that, you know, you, oh, there isn't political use to other racisms, like build that wall or, or law no, and no, order. No, 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 no. In, it's, in not, words, it's not that well, racism. There's always so, political so, use. Let me to, just finish to, my. Yeah, yeah, let me, yeah, yeah. So, so in other words, the fact that Weiss is saying there's a political utility to anti-Semitism as scapegoating to solve people's demographic anxieties to result, I as a as a demagogue will press your pre-existing demographic anxieties in this direction, and the Jews are always a handy scapegoat. I think is is persistent in hating of the Jews, but I don't think it's unique at all. Uh, to the Jews. I do think it it played a role with the Armenians. I do think it plays a role to the Kurds. I do think it plays a role to blacks, Hispanics. Uh, Bigotry is, is, um, is powerful. It's a powerful part of the human psyche and it is always, always manipulable and always manipulated. That's not special to Jews. The, Secret order of being in the, the secret order of global affairs, the conspiracy mm-hmm. that's unique to Jews, yeah. Yeah. and that's what what they were yelling at Charlottesville was not we hate blacks, we hate Latinos, white people are better, mm-hmm. don't take from us our country. How dare you Jews side with the Latinos? And it was a classy Nazi completely normal. Was, that's no siding with the Latinos. The Nazis is a normal that the Jews kind were mongrelizing the whites by bringing in people of different color. I mean, it's a classic anti-Semitic. There was nothing new about the Charlottesville. Yes, Jews will not replace. What's new the way, about the Char- What's new about Charlottesville? Charlottesville a, yeah, they meant Jews will not replace us with brown people. That yes. chant doesn't What's mean they replace us with Jews. No, they they don't think that. No, Jews are not good at that. What what what? What's new in Charlottesville, and by new I mean it was there among the Nazis, but it's but it's not new, unique. It's different from all other bigotries, is the conspiracy. Jews are managing the affairs of the world through conspiracy. The the same people who invented these ideas in German over in Moscow were were not the same people, but the same intellectual world was writing the protocols of the elders of Zion and believing it. And and um and so the conspiracy is completely different. The conspiracy and the is Soviet, completely different. And once it's a conspiracy, Jews can be blamed for everything, and the secret order of being in which this is all happening can be this place where everything is happening. It's a little bit like all of the, um, you know, the 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 television series about uh, vampires and werewolves, right? Mm-hmm. There is the ordinary world in which all the rest of us live, and then there's a secret underworld right. in which there are. There's a whole other war happening for the for, for the true control of the world, and that war, that undercurrent, that 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 global dimension right. of humanity is where the Jews control everything. That's different, and that's only Jews, and that's 
the Holocaust. Well, it's not. It's That's not. It's Hitler also, standing in the no. Reichstag in 1939 and saying, if the Jews send us to war, in other words, he's saying that to Winston Churchill, he's saying that to right. the Americans, if the Jews make us all go to war, in other words, don't go to war for the Jews, right? But if the Jews do drive us to war, the Jews will be exterminated. Hitler says openly outright in his own so, words. So it's a, it's, it's a mixture of conspiratorial. There are other, by the way, in these conspiracy theories, there's the, there's the, the Masons, there's the Illuminati, there's the... Not the people. Uh, oh, so it's the combination of racist bigotry with conspiratorial thinking. It's, it's, this, it's this perfect storm. Uh, and it makes the Jews a, an answer to every problem. Yeah. And you, you look at the Iranians now, you look at the, the Palestinians now. There's a discourse among the Palestinians. By the way, um, the prime minister of the Palestinian Authority, people who are very you know significant, considered moderate, travel the world, meet diplomats and meet leaders, um, and, and then they give speeches in Arabic. And in those speeches, the Jews control yeah. the world. And the Jews are driving Islam into a brick wall. And the Jews are the reason that. And it's all conspiracy, and it's all in a secret place, in a secret order of being. And, 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 and if you don't stop the Jews, the whole world is going The people marching in Charlottesville weren't... The brown people who were replacing them it, I, I say that all are being quotes, sent there by the Jets part of the are Jewish not mm-hmm. right. They're not the number one target and the number one problem. The number no. one problem is the Jewish conspiracy sending them to replace us. No. Right. They're not. They. It's a redirection of hate from yeah. the people they actually are worried about. Yeah. America is turning a little browner. That worries yeah. some people. Right. To the conspiracy, an entire people who are the conspiracy, who are the reification of this imagined conspiracy to turn America brown. That's unique to Jews and exists for no one else. And yeah. is, the, the, the other is thing, the reason the Nazis hated Jews more than they hated blacks, which you wouldn't think if you just read their actual racial theory. Mm-hmm. The, their racial theory was secondary to the conspiracy. And the Jews so were I a think, fundamental part of, of what the Nazis thought they were doing. So here's why I, I still have an issue with that. And that is that if you look at the history, historians who study anti-Semitism really talk about anti-Semitism starting uh, in Rome. That's when you first have writers talking about, you know, one out of every tenth citizen of Rome is a Jew, which is almost impossible. But this sense of the ubiquity of this Jew, and, and they're always, and that's where you start having you know, they're, they're out for money and they work together and they undermine civic order and they have a smell, Judeum fatentium. And that, you know, predating Christianity, let alone Islam. And, and, you and, are, that, and that yeah. what, 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 what I think Weiss may be identifying is that what Christianity and Islam did was the same thing that anti Semitism always did, was it shorthanded this ubiquitous other and place demonic characteristics on it for the political utility that you're saying. I, in other words, I don't think she's wrong in it. First of all, who the hell am I to disagree with Weiss? But, but I, I, in other words, I don't think that, I think she cheats a little when she says, because of Christianity Islam, it's an easy to use boogeyman for that political reason. I think Christianity Islam already picked on in a pre-existing Boogeyman. Right. Well, I think the Jews I, I other called her Rome. to ask about. In her defense, I called her to ask about today's anti-Semitism, and so she couldn't. I, exactly. In our conversation, she couldn't go back to Rome. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. But, so she's but described... all of these. Yeah. Gardia. What all these things have in common, though, is what Habib said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, where he was saying how um, it's something that's within us, but it's sort of disguised, right? The Jews are they're us, they're German, but they're not German. They're Jews. They're just like 
part of us, but and, not part of us. And they're, and that's they're what the I rotten think her, element. I, that's of, what I yeah. think Herzl and Pinsker and Hess and Lillian Bloom, that's what I think they're identifying. In other words, I'll, I'll put it a different way. When King David fought the Philistines, the Philistines were anti-Semites? You're asking no. me? I mean, yeah, it's a state, I mean yes. it, it, the word doesn't fit. In other words, King yeah. David fought the Ammonites or the Moabites or whoever. The, the, his kingdom had enemies, and they fought wars. But they didn't. I want to. You get what I'm saying? Okay, so anti-Semitism. And, and, anti-Semitism. And you are both saying something really important, which, you know, maybe you're pointing out that as Ruth Weiss constructs the unique version of anti-Semitism. If you use the word anti-Semitism to mean people who hate Jews, and there are people who hate Jews, by the way, there are people who hate Irish people for no good reason. Um, or maybe they think there is a good reason, but it's an irrational reason. And hating people yeah. for an irrational reason is not what's the unique form of anti-Semitism. So there's a lot of Jew hatred that you can have before getting to anything unique. And yeah. there's a lot of Jew killing you can do yeah. before you get to anything unique. Yeah. What's unique is the conspiracy. And that's and, and maybe what that means is that the the unique part of anti-Semitism is actually is actually pretty narrow um, part of anti-Semitism. Everything you just said about Rome is something and I, I just mentioned it in passing with a little link to a Wikipedia article, but everything you said is a great and important explanation for anti-Semitism, at least in the American experience, uh, which is called the middleman minority. It's this idea mm-hmm. of Thomas mm-hmm. Sowell a black American, just brilliant social theorist and economist looking at some of these questions. And he um, developed very, very, uh, I don't know if he invented the term, but he developed the idea of middleman minorities, which are minorities. How do they come in like other minorities and integrate so well and so successfully? But a lot of minorities come in, they're middleman minorities, and then they integrate very well. A lot of Asian minorities did that, had that experience uh, in America. But the Jews in many, many places, in the Ottoman Empire and and, and in many, many places, the Jews, but it's not just the Jews, it's the experience of of entire cross-sections of the Muslim uh, community or the Muslim world, the Muslim peoples. But then they assimilate uh, more than the Jews. In India. Middleman minorities are minorities that come into a country, use their affinity networks, the fact that Jews can mm-hmm. communicate more easily and more comfortably with other Jews uh, on, in other places, to create a commercial uh, network that connects. What makes them the middleman is it connects producers and consumers. They are the retailers. They are, you know, mm-hmm. the service industries. And they serve that role. And, and being a social religious minority is a, is a very powerful impetus to entering those professions and very useful way to enter those professions, especially if it's a minority that crosses borders that, you know, industrialists are less easy, less easily crossed because of, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, protectionism and, 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 you know, state policies and things like that. Middleman minorities face a lot of discrimination as middleman minorities. They're neither producers, mm-hmm. they're not big consumers. They, uh, give a real service to an economy, spread wealth, increase wealth, uh, open access to new markets, but uh, they also make make a living at it, and they often get very rich at it. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of names that we know of American Jewish billionaire names uh, are middleman minority types of activities. Uh, The Bronfman name, the money comes from middleman minority types of of activities, moving alcohol during the, the, um, what's it called? Um, Prohibition. Prohibition, thank you. Moving alcohol mm-hmm. around during Prohibition was how the Bronfman family mm-hmm. got their start making a lot of money, uh, which is classic sort of middleman minority kind of a position. And it draws a lot of prejudice. Now, 
hating Jews for being rich and smart and clever and conniving. And, oh, I want the Jewish lawyer because Jewish lawyers are conniving. If someone says that in America, the ADL pounces on them and says, you're an anti-Semite. That's a classic anti-Semitic trope. And I would suggest, I don't want to say it in the name of Ruth Weiss, I'll just say it in my name, as my Mm -hmm. interpretation of Ruth Weiss. That is not unique anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. It's people say it could say it easily about a Korean and about a, and, a, and about a Japanese, you know, immigrant to America who is in that middleman minority kind of situation economically. There's so many bigotries against Jews that don't count as unique. But right. that conspiracy is only Jews. And what you just described uh, in Rome, yeah. what you just described in Rome is middleman minority uh, situation. And, mm-hmm. and, and there are a lot of those all over the world. And a lot of them aren't Jews. And they face discrimination, active discrimination. Harvard not letting Jews into Harvard in the 40s. My grandpa got into uh, Harvard. Then he had to go to war. Then he came back from war. And he was told by Harvard that he can't go to Harvard because there wouldn't be a, uh, that he probably shouldn't ask to come to Harvard, even though he had gotten accepted before going out, because there wasn't the money there for him and there was no scholarship. And uh, Brooklyn College, I think, gave him full scholarship. And he went to Brooklyn College, and he became one of the en- first engineers on, like, the fourth computer ever built. It was a computer the size of a warehouse at, uh, at uh, the University of Pennsylvania. And, and uh, my grandpa was essentially kicked out of Harvard, and was exp- he was explained his, his last name was Redding, and so they weren't aware that he was Jewish. And then when they became aware that he was Jewish, the scholarship mm-hmm. money dried up, and it was explained mm-hmm. to him that maybe Brooklyn College was more appropriate. That's not anti-Semitism in the unique form. The Irish face that, the Italians face that in America, African-Americans face that long before anyone else. That's not uh, unique and, uh, about anti-Semitism. Right, but what I'm arguing is... is unique. When, when the, uh, so I think, I think it may be less unique than... than in Who other words, I think... Conspiracy? That, so they may not be racial groups. They may not be, to use the term racial, which is a weird term. In other words, they may not be ethno-national groups. But Illuminati conspiracies, Freemason conspiracies, deep state, conspiratorial thinking is also a normal part of human nature and always falls on something. You know, uh, ancient Rome had conspiratorial theories about Christians. But there are no victims. Let's say you and I believe the Illuminati are running the place. Who who do we firebomb? Well, the banks? Firebomb? I mean, who do we? Yeah. Wall Street. Wait. When you think the Jews are running the place, you, you, you set a synagogue on fire. When you think the Illuminati are running the place, what do you set on fire? Wall Street. <laughs> okay. That's why anarchists were blowing up Wall Street buildings in the early 20th century. If there I mean, was, yeah, I think if there is, it's very limited, and the human um, target I, I, isn't there. The Jews are a human target. I think. That could be a, yeah. I, I, and, and we can continue to split hairs on this, but, but, I, yeah. but I do think that when a nation state has enemies, it, it doesn't, it's not, in other words, that, that, that was my, my, my biblical Israel example. Of, it's really biblical. And why do historians start anti-Semitism in Rome and not with the biblical era? <clears throat> you know, rabbinically, we, we portray Pharaoh as an anti-Semite. But they're not even really Semite. Like, they're not anything at that point. Like, it's just this little minority group that are freaking him out. And that, and that template is so reproducible what what I think is what I think is what I what, the reason I'm sticking up for Herzl is that I do think it's a weird coincidence that there is this unique form of hatred against this people who lived a diaspora existence for two thousand years and didn't assimilate. Well, that's also pretty unique, huh? 
Two unique things that don't have anything to do with each other to me is way too much of a coincidence. I think that this, the, the, the ubiquity of the Jew across cultures, that middle management problem, mm-hmm. that, that Jews are mm-hmm. internationally, everywhere you go, they freaking are. In other words, it fits us like a glove if you think conspiratorial and don't care about empirical evidence or facts or data. Conspiratorial thinkers okay. have, a, have, a, have a waiting target. And again, I'm not saying this in the blame way. I'm not saying, you know, how come you wore that skirt in that neighborhood? It's your fault that a guy jumped on you. But, but Zionists were saying, maybe, maybe we shouldn't walk around that neighborhood anymore. Maybe we, we should go somewhere else. And the other thing, I, I, there's just one other thing I wanted to push back on, and I always push back on when Herzl talked about the normalization of the Jews, I don't think in 2021 the Jews are a normal nation. 43% mm-hmm. of the Jews live in this country and consider themselves, you know, and are citizens of the state of Israel. I don't know that you have another na- national group that 57, 58, 56% of its people live a diaspora existence and think of it as perfectly normal. They, uh, they assimilate faster. The Irish most Irish don't live in Ireland, but but most Irish most don't live Irish, Irish either live in Ireland or have assimilated and think of themselves they don't as know ethnically they're Irish, Irish but they're not Irish anymore. Right, mm-hmm. right. And the Jews are weird. So to say that that weirdness has nothing to do with this weird, whatever whatever uniquenesses we find, and intuitively we grasp that there's something unique about anti-Semitism, it's ubiquity, it's persistence, it's inappropriateness, it's ability to trick, you know, the communists say we're capitalist conspirators, the capitalists say we're communist conspirators. It's, you, to me, it's the ubiquity and the endless permutations of it. It can take whatever form, it's so plastic. Whatever your agenda is, whoever you're anxious about, the Jews fit the scapegoat. It's the utility of it and the instinctive identity with it, which seems so cross-cultural into, you know, the protocols was selling in the, in the far, in, in, in Japan a few years ago. Like what, where are the Jews? It's to me, what's unique is it's transformability and it's persistence. And I think that does, to me, that corresponds to the ubiquitous wandering Jew and, 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 and they fit so well hand in glove that I think explanations that try to separate those, to me, end up being a little too clever. And a little bit, you, you, you almost have to pill-pull your way out of connecting these two obvious truths of the Jews. We have a historically unprecedented, unusual existence, and there is an antipathy that goes along with that. But they are not, they're not connected. They're not connected. It's because of Christianity and Islam that we have this negative image. The negative image... It pre-existed those, and so they're also glomming onto it. But that, so, so I, I, I agree with everything Ruth Weiss said. I think her analysis is 100% right about the modern movement, certainly since the term was coined. Its persistence as a political tool is, is in the West and in what they used to call the Orient, but now we call whatever the Arab world or whatever we call it. I think she's 100% right about everything she says. But I still think that the Zionists were right in exactly the way that you laid out. Not as it's your fault, but there is something different about the Jews. There is no Italian-Americans don't have a lobby which, which has an annual convention supporting Italy in Washington, D.C. Something, something Americans about what you're saying. Lot, what? Something about yeah, what ahead. you're saying bothers me. Uh, and uh, I have to think about what. So... Um, Continue to uh, 
speak you about rant that. another minute because we have to wrap up <laughs> soon. But but there is no Irish American. There's no Irish American APAC. There's no Italian American APAC. There's no Chinese American APAC. I'll tell you what bothers me. What if yeah. the Jews changed? What if 98% of Jews lived here in Israel? Would it go away? In a few generations. Sure, it would take a few would centuries. The conspiracy, would the conspiracy go away? Yeah, in a few centuries. Not, not, not would there be people who say, I don't like Israel and I don't like Jews. Like there are people no, who say, no, I, don't, be people I, don't like like I don't like Ireland and I don't like the Irish. France, right. right. Would, the, would the conspiracy go away? Yeah, and I, I, I submit so. to you that it would not even slightly go away because it makes no sense today for the Iranian regime to be premised on having this enemy and discussing it and being Holocaust denying. And Holocaust denying is part of the conspiracy, right? Because the Jewish conspiracy created the Holocaust in order to uh, silence all opposition and all of this. Um, and the Iranian you think in America, you think things? in the West it would exist in the same form? Because Iran's Malaysia. a funny case, isn't it? Iran, Malaysia. Sure, Iran's gonna, yeah. Malaysia has an actively anti-Semitic, conspiratorial anti-Semitic. They control the world, they control the banks, and they bend the world in service of Israel. It's something that Mahathir Muhammad has said publicly, constantly, consistently. The man is the longest-serving prime minister in modern Malaysian history. He was prime minister until a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, he's a rabid anti-Semite on the uh, conspiracy model. And uh, he has, has no Jews. In fact, yep. ADL has these studies of about 100 countries. The fewer Jews, the more, the more conspiracies. Mm-hmm. But that's not an argument about the future, Khalid. That's about the persistence of the phenomenon today, as the Jews still have not normalized. In fact, what have we done? Places where now, the Jews exist. The Jewish question hate them less. Oh. And so the normal, but places where Jews exist in a diasporic existence, people hate them I, less. I understand, but, 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 but the, the Jewish question, which used to exist as why is there this wandering stateless people that are us, they're not us, as you articulated earlier, led to, in the Zionist analysis, anti-Semitism. Of, then we don't really want them here in the, in the modern Western term. Right. Then what so do we do? We created a anti-Semitic? state. We create, why are Malaysians anti-Semitic? Because yeah. there is a sense. Not all Malaysians, our, obviously. I just want to clarify. But why are there so many and so prominent anti-Semitic Malaysians? Because throughout the, un, the, the developing world, Israel is either seen as an ally that can help lift us up or as part of the problem that's holding us down. And it, it fits the net once again. If they talk the about Jews, not about Israel, not about settler yeah, colonialism. Same. They talk oh, about Jews. No, but Khaviv, that, that's the beauty of the 21st century. Now, when we say the Jews are seizing power to their advantage, we're not talking. You, could, you used to, 100 years ago, be able to say, what kind of power do they have? They're nobodies at the bottom, maybe middle class in society. If they're so powerful running the world, well, no, it's because they're behind the scenes and really they're pushing everything. Today you go, look at Israel. They've got the whole world wrapped around their finger. They're a colonial outpost oppressing people whose whole existence is a cursed immorality. And every other Western form of of, of, uh, of uh, colonialism is a pushback. But look at the Jews. They're stealing land that's not theirs, and they're successful, and they're wrapping the whole world around it, and they're, and they're convincing the world to feel bad for them because, meanwhile, we're the ones suffering from our own economic and ethnic tensions. How do we get out of this? How do we break this? It's, so it's a not different than the use of the Arab world. There's a yeah. useful conspiracy in a place where there are no liminal Jews with identity problems. Right, right. And therefore, maybe the liminal Jews with identity problems might have sparked some of the earliest formation of some of these ideas, right. middleman minority kinds of right. discrimination and prejudice. 
but the conspiracy now doesn't yeah. need Jews doesn't need Jews anymore, and that's that's unique. Is is the suggestion? So, so what you're suggesting is that perhaps it will outlive its its original source, even if the what source I'm suggesting is, is it might outlive the Jews. <laughs> there might still be Jews running the world, even when there are no Jews, because we've all moved to Mars. Yeah, so it, I think it's it would, I think at that so point profound. It yeah, its usefulness is so profound. Leo, I think at that point, uh, it what do you Jews. think? Yeah, <laughs> are you, um, yeah, are, you yeah. are you are you brand new here? Because uh, this often turns into me and Michael yelling at each other. Uh, just so you know, <laughs> it's fine. I'm I... the, ex- the expectation is that <laughs> no, you'll, uh, I actually. Yeah, sorry. Jump in. No, don't be sorry. Um, no, I agree. I do agree with you. I think that. Um, I have a hard time understanding how or, or believing or imagining that in a world where there's, let's say, no or very little diaspora jewelry, then the uh, anti-Semitic trope doesn't exist anymore. I, I happen to think, actually, uh, agree with you, Hobie, that it would just probably manifest itself and grow. Um, yeah. So I, I, so I, do, see, I do think two, that it's... It's two know. against one here. Just want to make sure... It is two against one, to, but I will say this. Clear to listeners. Part of, part of why I believe this is the same reason Martin Luther King believed it. Is I believe it as a, and here, here I'll, I'll, I, I will admit that my optimism is is faith supported. In other words, I believe in the prophet Isaiah's promise that we will live in a world, in a peaceful world, where war is unthinkable because of humanity's sense of universal brotherhood. And since I believe that the arc of history bends towards that kind of peace and justice then I believe that these things are ultimately resolvable and that I do believe there will be an end to anti-Semitism. I think we're terrible predictors of the future. And so I, I do turn to, in my, and this is my personal life, I, I, this, is not a, this is not a good argument to convince somebody else to agree with me, but I, I, I look at the world that way. And so, and so, of course, I believe that. We can't imagine, but if I had said to you in, you know, in 1900 that there would be, a United Nations formed to unite the world against warfare, an international organization where people sit down to vote in ways to prevent warfare. 1900, that was a ridiculous idea. Now it's dysfunctional and it still doesn't work. Bless you. But, uh, but the world is changing. You said and, United and, and, Nations. <laughs> and by the way, whose, whose words are on that big wall outside the United Nations? But Isaiah. In other words, the world is proving, I, in my belief, Isaiah Wright. So ultimately, I do believe in a world of peace and prosperity. I believe in Star, I love Star Trek partially because I think it is portraying a world where humanity figured all this garbage out and stops being so. So I believe in a post-hatred world. I do. I think, I think, I, I just had a thought, and this is going a little bit, a little bit backwards, but I was thinking about this middleman theory that we were talking about before and, and this idea that there is, I don't want to say some truth, but there is this that we can point to realistic situations um, all over the world where the Jews, like we were talking about, do become this sort of middleman, um, the, the person that's Scapegoat. like running things, like you're saying, behind the scenes. But no, also physically, like we did, like we were, I don't know, the advisors to ministers and the people who uh, brought, um, you know, did, did were in charge of trade, things like that, and then created a situation. I'm not saying. Um, only this, but I'm saying I'm sure this this helps to sort of create this um, this conspiracy theory, this anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, where the nation, whatever nation it, it may be, sees the Jews as we're now we're reliant on the Jews. Now the Jews have put themselves in a situation where we've become reliant on them in some capacity, where that sort of 
it manifests or helps manifest the, the conspiracy theory, helps grow the conspiracy theory, um, whereas the Jews were a minority population trying to make it in whatever country they were in. And then, so I think when the nations, going, going connecting into what you're saying, when the nations can take responsibility for themselves, I think, and say we are responsi- responsible for, for our own destiny, in a sense, and not always take this this middleman scapegoat Jewish people and blame and and blame you know all of the wrongdoings or all of the terror that's you know that's fallen upon them on the on this on this group on this one specific group. I think that's when what you're saying this this sort of prophecy this ideal situation in the world can come to, to can happen can 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 actually take form because until as long as there's a scapegoat and as long as there's nations who are not taking respons- complete responsibility for themselves and for the good that they do and the bad that they do, um, then yeah, then, then the Jews is the scapegoat and the Jews the, the, the easiest one to point a finger to. Um, and I think that just going back to like right now, I think we see this a lot in the progressive world um, where a lot of people are just, you know, there's just this sort of victim mentality of I deserve and I, I, you know, I've been through trauma and I can't and someone needs to save me. Um, and, and the Jew is at, the Jew is to blame. Somehow the Jew is to blame, right? And that's how the conspiracy sort of I see is playing out today in our world. But I think, I think it's based on this idea that we sort of plugged ourselves into this little middleman kind of arena of like, we, we, we are easy. We're an easy person to blame, not just theoretically, but actually, Oh, you're the person who makes my trade. If my trade is bad, that's your fault. Or you're my advisor, you're the, you know, the advisor for the, well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yes. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, Michael, you go. <laughs> I, I got a whole speech at the beginning to make up for with some <laughs> silence. No, I mean, it's true. It's true in places where that's true, a, but not in places where the Jews yeah. weren't that instrumental. But it's I also, true. I also think it's based on the, the classic fallacy of all racism, which is the Jews weren't anything. In other words, Don Isaac Abravanel was an advisor to Ferdinand and Isabella. The Jews weren't. And the seeing Jews weren't. the Jews as, right. as the unit, you know, oh, look at all these Jews in entertainment. Jews run the media. Oh, you know, they're arresting all these celebrities for, for sexual harassment or whatever. Oh, you see, it's the Jews. It's not the Jews. You know, we Jews always, when we hear about Jews running the media, we always go, oh, when well, wasn't I invited? Because we intuitively respond to that. It's all the same. We all make the same dumb joke in one form or another because we're intuitively saying, but it's not the Jews. The Jews don't do almost anything, although we do feel a sense of unity. The, the idea of the corporate acting of any group of that dimension is just silly. And it's the silly thing behind all racism. All right. So I, I, and we so gotta, I just want to say first, we got to, okay. So I just want to say one last thing and it's triggering and mean, um, just preparing everybody, uh, for that. Um, first of all, the, the Jews weren't the only middleman minority in history. They weren't even the only middleman minority in places where they were a middleman minority. So for example, when the Jews were running, the marketplaces of the Ottoman Empire, standing next to them at the next stall over, and probably in larger numbers, were the Greek Christians, who were massive traders and merchants throughout the Ottoman Empire with the Jews, and for the same reasons, because they had these networks, because they had these affinity networks. And Part of the negative um, outcome of the Crusades was the Jews being replaced by Muslims as middle, middle, uh, middle as the trade in, route throughout in, the world, yeah. 
throughout the Mediterranean. Um, in South uh, America, there are huge communities of Japanese, of Lebanese, of Syrians, and they all have these networks and they all have these commercial ties and they all serve in these functions and they face some discrimination because of it. Um, there are middleman minorities everywhere and all through history and the Jews alone uh, came to control the world in these stories. So that's that's one. In other words, it, it, the middleman minority is uh, theory that explains a lot of the prejudice faced by Jews over the centuries is proof that something is unique about anti-Semitism because all the other middleman minorities didn't face what the Jews faced. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing, and that's, that's, that's sort of a methodological point to say we don't have an explanation for anti-Semitism that puts the Jewish position in these societies as the explanation. The, the, the ability to give the Jews this conspiracy there are many conspiracies. There's conspiracies that nobody ever walked on the moon, but it was all done in a Hollywood basement, right? Okay, great. As the song says, fine, fine, mm-hmm. fantastic. But um, but but that the Jews are engineering the workings of the world for, for nefarious ends, and they're the reason that I, a German conservative in the 19th century, have to democratize suddenly. That is unique to Jews. And the last point is just you know I'm going to say it with real mean. Um, Religious people, uh, I definitely mean Michael. I don't know if I mean Liel, my apologies. Um, <laughs> make, make bad Zionists. And I'll tell you why you all make bad Zionists. Because you have optimistic expectations. Mm-hmm. And the Zionism that worked, the Zionism that built a state, was a sociological analysis of Europe. Mm-hmm. And of all modernization, not just Europe, beyond Europe. Herzl talked about Africa. Once he saves the Jews, he is going to go fix Africa. Which sounds odd unless, until, you, until you grasp the theory of Zionism with, with how Zionism sort of uh, foregrounds identity and says identity is the driver of history, not as the Marx and many Zionists are Marxists, but not as Marx says, you know, capital uh, and class, mm-hmm. and not as the liberals say, you know, individual identity or whatever. But in fact, uh, mass identity, collective identity, tribal identity is a great and empowering and powerful and maybe the more powerful engine of history. And it is the danger Jews face, and it is the tool Jews need to, to, to learn to use in order to save themselves. And how we think about our identity and structure our identity and build our society based around those identities is going to change our fate. Now, that is a hard, cold sociological analysis. It is, it is math. It is not uh, faith. The many, many, many kinds of Zionisms that are faith, Echad Martin Buber, Rav Kook, Michael, all of those kinds of Zionisms. <laughs> wow, that have, that, great company. Thank you are you. in very good company. By the way, some of my favorite yeah, I was people. Say. <laughs> some of my best friends. Yeah, some of my best friends. But they were riding the wave of of, of this hard nosed strategic Zionism that actually built the state. Mm-hmm. There, the, the people have brains. Humans have brains. Those brains evolved with certain mechanisms and certain ways of interpreting the world that were wildly successful. That's why they evolved that way. One of the things that they evolved to do is reach judgments very quickly. And reaching judgments very quickly drives them to very bad places when they have to think about subtle, careful, nuanced, complicated realities. People are better at simple things than at complex ideas and complex realities. And so there will always be 
As long as there are Jews, there will be anti-Semitism, and long after there are Jews, there will still be anti-Semitism, even if they find a different target or a different term. And, no, I, and people will always a, be terrible. I'm a religious Zionist always... in the same way as David Ben-Gurion, who said that to be a Zionist, you have to believe in miracles and that they're achievable. Mm-hmm. You're right. That, but, he, but, he was so... He was so a it's, deeply not going, religious. it's not going away. It's not going no, no, away. No, dude, dude, dude. And then we go to the progressive anti-racists and discover that Israel is the reason for police violence in, in Kennebunkport, Maine. Who said it, there? It, it's, not, it's not going away. Ever. Okay. okay. And all we can but do I, I, is, I, I, yeah. I and like changing the Jews didn't work. I would like to defend just, my that's it. Uh, religious fellows. I'm done, fellows. by the way. That was the, it. I, was, I was just yeah. wanted to fly that flag that says, no, be pessimistic. Pessimism is truth. Well, I'm going to trigger you then, the because floor. I'm going to I'm going to say that I'm taking the last word from you. <laughs> That's a trigger. That's me. If I what? take the last. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I think religious people can be as good Zionists as anybody else, because what Zionism is is the belief that these things are not going to fall on us from the heavens. Is that whatever problems need to be mm-hmm. solved, we need to solve. That it's done through work and activism and rolling up your sleeves and getting it done. And that what, what Zionism at its core believed was, as you identified in the article, this is the normalization has to take place through our work. And religious Zionists believe, as opposed to, you can have a Zionist who's religious and keeps the Sabbath and eats kosher food and whatever. A religious Zionist is the belief that we are, we are working in this, in this thousands of year old mission that was that is part of our relationship with God to make the world a better place. That it's not just it's that optimistic. That this is part of not only by redeeming ourselves, we build the world. And so and so the reason they find common cause with the Ben Gurions, who were deeply secular, but said that we have to believe in miracles to do what we do is because we set our goals uh, that high. So I, I think you can be a pessimistic Zionist, but I also think that you can be an optimistic Zionist. And, you know, however religious you think Menachem Begin was, when he said uh, war is avoidable, peace is inevitable, uh, I think he's also, I think David Ben-Gurion and Menachem Begin also were authentic Zionists. So I, I think I'm in good company there, too. In other words, I, I don't think Rev Cook was a good political organizer. But I, but I think that even the ones who are good at the nuts and bolts mathematics, physics, crunching it out, engineering like your grandfather, getting it done, Zionist. I think it's okay to have a far-reaching sense of optimism and goal. I think that's okay, too. No? And, and by the way, Javi, I'll be even meaner. I think you're one of those Zionists. I think you're a deeply <laughs> optimistic person. How dare you? <laughs> Calling me optimistic. I think... In, Leo, I think <laughs> Leo, you get the last word. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say I agree, I agree with Michael. I agree with the last the last word that you said. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think there is. If we think about like I'm just the Pesach story, for example, like you don't have to be today. We see it's like the most number one, I think, most celebrated holiday amongst Jews and even the most secular Jews. And the whole story is about miracles. The whole story is about this sort of crazy phenomenon and the Jews leave Egypt and then you know this aspiration for you know our destiny. Um, and it exists amongst whether, yeah, whether you're religious or not. I think it's a, a story that we can attach ourselves to. And at the end of the day, at the core, it's a story of, of, the, of the creation of the state of Israel. It's a story of the, the project that we're in the midst of. Um, so I think if you're attached in any way, I think there's an element of, of a miraculousness or, or a suspension of disbelief that's taking place. 
It may be. It may be self-delusion. I mean, you quoted the Chili Peppers. I'll quote another uh, classic rock. Uh, you know, you may say that we are dreamers. I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Right. That 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 uh, right. you know, and I think you know Martin Luther King was a, a religious figure, and I think he, I agree with him, and I think you you agree with it more than your I have position answers, you're but, taking but right it's now. A, maybe it's for another. <laughs> I, you know, I have I have answers. There there, yeah, there we're, are hard we're, uh, sociological realities that uh, should make us optimistic because you know you can't hold. Um, Nathan Saransky once. Um, told me a story of, of this other Russian writer who explained to a Soviet, to a KGB agent interrogating him, why uh, he why he was a proud dissident. With The KGB agent is genuinely asking, you know, your whole life is miserable. You're fighting the freaking USSR. You're going to lose. Are you stupid? Why? I mean, why aren't you just doing the thing that is in your interest? And he explains, this Russian writer's name I forget, he explains to, um, to the KGB agent, um, you know that a dictatorship has to always be uh, under tension. It has to always be, it's a soldier holding a gun. And he has to always be holding the gun. And he has to always be aiming the gun. And he, he gets tired. And the gun starts dropping. And eventually he gets tired and the gun falls. I just have to sit here. Mm-hmm. I just have to sit here. You will fall from your own inner need to constantly control us. You're trying to do something that's constantly controlling. So there's there's a, you know, what democracies discovered and what, what free markets discovered, what capitalist theory discovered, not all capitalism is good, but the fundamental idea of free market is that is that the resting baseline is a good place and a healthy place. And that's that's democracy, is the resting baseline of humanity. And so Martin Luther King was right that ultimately we're going to reach this resting baseline where we're not oppressing because oppression is really hard and, and, and uh, living systems and societies tend to uh, places where they have less energy. And, and so what Zionism has managed to do, you know, sociological analysis, strategic Zionism has managed to do is create the sort of resting baseline of Jewish life that doesn't need to constantly be energetic um, and, and, and constantly be preserving the Jews. American Jews spend all their life and all their efforts and all their blood and sweat and money just trying to keep their kids interested. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really hard, and they've done mm-hmm. it better than any American minority. But there's something that isn't baseline easy to do there. And by the way, they think Israel is very helpful to keeping their kids interested. Mm-hmm. Israel is at a resting state, and so that's very healthy. So I, I, I am optimistic that democracy will ultimately win. I am optimistic that the Palestinians will ultimately be free of Israeli military rule. I'm optimistic mm-hmm. of that. I don't know how we get there, but I am optimistic in that sense. What I'm not optimistic is that humans will ever change. Mm-hmm. And, and so if there are things that are the baseline resting state of a human is to have people they don't like, then people will always not like people. And, and so there, there, you know, it's not, I, I guess there is an optimism there, but I, I, I think um, we shouldn't be too optimistic. We no, shouldn't assume I, I, it's I, coming. Do you see what he did, Leo? Son of a gun, the conspiracy of this guy. He's getting the last word. <laughs> he's, a, he's a king at that, though. Unbelievable. These Jews. Let's tell you. 15 years in journalism. <laughs> They're so Just clever. To get last yeah, no, I don't believe that all, I don't believe human nature will change, but I think culture will change enough that, that, that those dislikes won't allow themselves to be manifested. In, of course, human psychology stays the same, but what changes is human culture to the, to the extent that that sort of open behavior becomes intolerable and obviously stupid and obviously the province of the, of the idiots. But see, I don't trust, this is a little bit of the progressive theory where if we, uh, social ostracizing of 
you know, bigotry can end bigotry. I don't think it can. Because social well, it can takes a, a tremendous amount of it takes a tremendous amount of energy. And yeah. pe- I, I am in competition with other populations. And not sometimes in a scarcity, other, not in a post scarcity society. I'm in competition for prestige with other people and I might associate those other people will with, other, with, with populations they come from. You know what I mean? I'm the world is always throwing me, you know, is always setting me up for prejudice. Just simple life, living life yep, sets you yep, up for yep. prejudice. Conflict. Guy rear-ends me on the road Conflict. and then yells at me about it. If he's Yemenite, Conflict. the next Yemenite I meet, I might be like, ah, oh, yeah. Yep. And I know it's not true. And my best friend in the army is Yemenite. And I, and I, I, I there's so many. Yeah, and in the early Federation, life. a lot of Earthers didn't like Vulcans, but but they didn't fight Vulcans. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what's stuck. But that's I can't argue with that. Yeah. I don't know, but I really do think Star Trek to me is one of my models of a, of a post scarcity society where where of course there's conflict. There's with, with, scarcity. You know, when we stop fighting for food or land or water, we'll start fighting for prestige. But that always, fight becomes a lot less toxic than what Iran is doing. Okay. That's what I think. I do hope you're right. I know. I know. Well, I guess that's close as close as I'm gonna give you to the last word. <laughs> Just because I'm a little bit more stubborn. So, no, there's no way I'm more stubborn than you. I take that back. It's just because I'm the host. So, thank you so much, Khabib. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include, it's a thank longer episode, but I'm just going to include it because it was so interesting. And I think it's the kind of thing yeah, our sure. listeners. Okay. Yeah. You can cut a lot of it, I think. Uh, a I, lot of me, I, I think. But I don't think so. I think, I think it's, you know, I'll close with what we opened with that, that it was what we today call a long piece of 3,000 words. But you need the space to breathe to listen to you because you're not, you're not. It, it, I, I encourage, I mean, I guess it's the end of the episode, so it's really to encourage our listeners. But I, but I encourage our listeners to, to read those longer pieces because the art of the well thought out, well reasoned, well argued piece is such a healthy thing that we're moving past in our society to our own detriment. So uh, even even for that alone, we thank you, Khabib, as always, and for, and for giving Jews so much productive to think about and chew over and, and make our identities stronger. As an educator, you are a gift that keeps on giving. Thank so, you very much. Appreciate thank it. You, thank Thanks, you, Khabib. Thank you so much. Thanks, Liel. So Thanks, Liel. Welcome, and hopefully... Uh, in future episodes, we'll give you a little less uh, shouting. I apologize for, for kind of uh, monopolizing a little on my end. But, uh, no, don't worry about it. Okay, we'll work it out in the future. It's not the end of the episode, so you don't have to log off. I know it is the end of the episode, but you don't have to log off the Zoom. Bye-bye. Okay. Let me stop here. Bye.